0: Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Grove. We are so glad that you are with us on this beautiful Sunday morning. My name is Stephen and I'm one of the pastors here. And today is Pentecost Sunday and I know that means a lot to all of you. And so we're going to spend some time talking about it this morning because have you ever had the experience where you've been in a museum and you've walked around without like a tour guide? And you kind of walk around and you see the things, and you're like, oh, that's pretty, or oh, that's neat, or "Mm, I wonder what the story is behind that. And you have no context or information about what the pieces are, the exhibits are in the museum. Have you ever kind of had that? After a couple of minutes, museums get pretty boring if you don't know anything about the things that you're looking at. But my guess is you've also probably had experiences where you've walked through the museum or some type of historical site with a really good guide and they like have all of this interesting detail about the backstory and the history and about why it exists and why it's significant and why it's meaningful and these kind of fun bits of history. And they connect the dots in a way that you leave the museum, and you're like, that was such an enriching experience. That was so meaningful to me. My hope is to be the latter for you this morning as it relates to Pentecost Sunday. Because Pentecost Sunday is like the third most important day in the Christian calendar. But for us, it kind of functions like the third Manning brother. You know, you're like, I I think there's a third one. I don't really, I can't name him. Or like Phoebe from Friends. It's like Rachel and Monica, we got them. But I think there's another blonde one. Who was the blonde with the tall blonde? It kind of functions like that for us in the Christian church. But it's actually really, really important. You know, Christmas we know. Easter we know. But Pentecost, Pentecost actually serves As the celebration of the birthday of the church, it's on Pentecost that we see the church begin and emerge. It wasn't something that existed prior to Pentecost, but on Pentecost it happens. And so in a way, this isn't the Grove-specific birthday, which is something that we celebrate in October. But collectively, historically, this is the church's birthday. And if I had thought ahead, I would have gotten everybody cupcakes and we could have sung happy birthday together, you know, blown out the candle and done all the things. But it's really really something that started much earlier than 2,000 years ago when the church was born. Because Pentecost is just a Greek word that means 50. And it denotes and it commemorates this celebration, this festival in the Jewish faith tradition that happened 50 days after Passover. So Passover is this significant moment in the life of the people of Israel, God rescues them out of slavery and captivity in Egypt to bring them into the promised land. And then they celebrate that 50 days after that first Passover, not not chronologically, but in, in kind of their lunar calendar, it was the time in which God gave them the Torah. He gave them the commandments. He gave them the law. And the law was really important to the people of Israel because the law kind of did two primary functions. It helped them establish their own society and community. It gave them a sense of identity and collective kind of identity in terms of who they were in relationship to each other and who they were in differentiation between the rest of the world. But it also inspired, encouraged, convicted them in terms of how they were supposed to live their life. It gave them kind of a blueprint for how they were supposed to live, so who they are, who they were, And what they were supposed to do. The law answered this question. And so what we see happen is there's this celebration, this festival that would happen every 50 days after Passover. And it was called the the festival of Pentecost. It was called the festival of weeks. It was also called Shavuot. Maybe you've heard some of those words before. It also timed with the beginning of like the end of the harvest season. And so when these first fruits were gathered from the harvest... It was like this time when there was starting to be this new bounty of what God provided to the people of Israel, both in terms of the Torah and the law, but also in terms of the way that it kind of manifested in the ground and the land. And so they would celebrate this every year. Well, what we see happen is at the end of Jesus's life, he gathers his disciples together after his resurrection before he ascends into heaven. And he says, listen, I want you to wait. Wait until something really important is going to happen to you. God is going to fulfill his promise to send his spirit among you, and there you're going to experience power. Let me show you what this looks like. This is coming out of the first chapter of the book of Acts. This is a promise that Jesus makes his disciples that gets fulfilled in Pentecost. So here's what he says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, but you will receive power You're going to be encouraged and strengthened. You're going to gain power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you were with us when we preached all the way through the book of Acts, that I think it was like a 16-week series, you remember this passage. You're like, oh, no, here we go again. No, just one week on this, I promise. But this is this really important moment because Jesus sets up a promise that later gets fulfilled in Pentecost, it's this promise of a coming spirit, a coming presence that's gonna be with them. And that spirit and presence is the Holy Spirit and it's gonna empower them. So once this day comes and the Holy Spirit comes, it just so happens, maybe not coincidentally, that it happens at the same time as the festival of Pentecost, as the, as the 50 days after Passover. All of the disciples are gathered there in Jerusalem celebrating this holiday. Because they're all good, observant Jews, and then God does something new. So in the same way that God gives the Torah to the people of Israel, God begins to make this new gift, to start this new covenant, with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, depending on kind of what your faith tradition is and your background with church, you have different experiences with this world word, Holy Spirit, for some of you, it's this kind of foreign thing. In a similar way that Pentecost is this seldom talked about third holiday in the Christian church, the Holy Spirit is oftentimes can be this seldom talked about third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We often, you know, depending on your faith tradition, you may not have talked about it very much. On the other hand, you may have almost only talked about it, depending on the church you grew up with. If you grew up in a more charismatic um, or apostolic, you know, Pentecostal-type church. It was all you talked about, and there were lots of conversations about what it looked like. And some of those have kind of been characterized for people who didn't grow up in that tradition. And so we know it as like kind of the more outward physical expressions of worship sometimes during church. If you see p- people lift their hands, sometimes there's a conversation about how that's connected to worship in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it gets even, kind of even kind of more... Um, stands out even more in worship there's these things like speaking in tongues and different things that happen and so depending on where you've grown up with you either have a lot of comfort with conversation about the Holy Spirit and potentially experiences with the Holy Spirit or if you've grown up in other traditions you're like yeah I've heard about it but I don't really know what that means but really the Holy Spirit is God's presence active and at work in our life it is the thing that Jesus promises will give us power in this life Another analogy or example of kind of how the Holy Spirit works is like a spark plug in a car. Now, I am way out of my depth when it comes to talking about automobiles, so let me just venture into this illustration for you. If you have any experience with kind of automotives, uh, then help help me fill in the gaps. Send me the emails later about the ways that I didn't quite get this right. And if you're like me and you're totally clueless and a light comes on in your car and you just take it into the shop... I'm going to kind of paint in broad strokes so hopefully this will make sense to you. So the reason and the way that your car works is it takes potential energy and converts it into actual energy. And it does that through a combination of gasoline, air, and fire. Once you mix gasoline and air together, they become highly combustible. And all you need is a tiny little spark to ignite that combination. That explosion, that combustion of the, of the gas and air mixture is what powers your engine. In broad strokes, that's how it works. All the mechanics nod at me if I kind of got that right. Everybody who knows what they're talking about. Yep. Okay. I'm getting a lot of nods. I'm also getting some confused looks. So I'll move on. But the way that it works is kind of in the engine, there's this compression of this oil or this gas and air mixture. And the spark plug provides a little electric current, this little spark, that ignites this whole thing, that pushes the piston down, that moves the crankshaft, and this happens over and over and over again. Now, it's a one-time instantaneous thing that the spark plug does, but immediately it has to repeat that process. So it's this suddenly process, this instantaneous process, and this slow process because it repeats it over and over and over again they have these kind of new spark plugs that are rated to like a thousand you know initiations or a million initiations it's like they're designed to create that initial spark again and again and again and again and it what provides the mechanism for the power of your car or any other combustion engine that you might have now in the same way the holy spirit does the same thing in our life It provides a spark. It provides that accelerant, that initiation that ignites God's work in our life. And it happens in two ways. It happens suddenly at times, and it happens slowly over periods of time. Some of us have had experiences of the Holy Spirit working suddenly in our life. There was a moment we weren't really going to church. We had some crisis, some event, something happened to us, and we had this experience where God suddenly, the Holy Spirit suddenly did something in our life. And we, were, we immediately were like, well, I'm never going back to that lifestyle again, or I'm letting go of the kind of this pattern or this habit, and I'm making a change, and I'm going to reorient myself in a new direction. Maybe you've had that experience at camp before. Camps are really good at the suddenly Holy Spirit moments. You know, they wait till the last day, and you're kind of tired, and they sing that really emotional song late at night, and you're like, boom, I'm in. Those are good suddenly moments. But just like a spark plug, we need more than the suddenly moments. The suddenly moments aren't enough to sustain. Which is why you also need the slow moments. Those moments of small adjustments. Of this continual formation and reformation into the person of Christ. This is the way the Holy Spirit works in our life. Just like a spark plug. That initial spark. And then that continued spark again and again and again. Let me show you exactly how this worked on the very first Pentecost. So shortly after, Jesus makes this promise to his disciples that if you'll wait, I'm going to leave you. Jesus's presence will no longer be with us, but God will send his spirit to be present with us forever. It's this continual presence of God in our life. He says, if you'll wait, God's going to send the Holy Spirit and it's going to give you power. And then You're going to continue my work in the world as witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the back story to Pentecost. Let me show you what happens on the day of Pentecost. And this is just a couple of verses later in Acts chapter 2. Now, it said when the day of Pentecost had come. And this is the, the Jewish celebration of Pentecost. This is not the Christian celebration of Pentecost yet because the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. So they're already celebrating this thing that kind of got co-opted by the Christian faith. The day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and then there it is. And suddenly, and suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now, it's not coincidental that the writer of Acts describes the sudden movement of the Holy Spirit as a violent, rushing wind. You see, all throughout the Old and New Testament, the word that's used for spirit is, is of the same root as the word that's used for wind and the same word that's used for breath. So you can start in Genesis when God breathes into Adam's nostrils to animate him, to give him life or God's spirit is hovering over the surface of the waters in the Genesis creation story, all of that is the same idea that's present throughout the entire story of Scripture. And so when this sudden rushing wind comes in, it's supposed to trigger our connection to God's presence and activity in the world throughout the entire story of Scripture. While this is something new, this is a continuation of the way that God has been at work in the world this entire time. And so for us today, the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is a continuation of the same story that God has been telling from the very beginning. You know, we just wrapped up last week a series on how to live a better story, and we tried to connect it to the larger story that God is working in the world. This is another example of how that happens in our own life. The presence of the Holy Spirit is this continuation of God's Spirit, God's breath, this wind moving Through people and through time. So, this is what it says: a sound of a violent rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. It's like if you've ever been to a concert and they turn the fog machine on too much, and it like kind of fills up the whole arena or the space. Maybe it was something like that. We're not sure, but you know, I try to imagine things to make them a little more interesting as I read scripture. It might have been like that. Okay, so this is what happens though. And then This is where it starts to get kind of out there, and it's like, ooh, this is a little supernatural sounding. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. And then it says, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. So not only, in the previous verse, was the entire house filled with the Holy Spirit, but now these individuals were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the shift that has never happened before in Scripture. Previously, when you look at God's Spirit and God's presence filling something, God had always filled a building. When the Israelites were navigating through the wilderness and they had their tabernacle, their traveling tent, God's presence would fill the tent. And then, once they established the temple, God's presence filled the Holy of Holies. There was this physical like building the structural space that God's spirit and presence filled. And then on Pentecost, on this Pentecost, God's spirit not only fills the house, but it fills the new temple, the new dwelling place of God inside each individual. And this is the way that we understand God's spirit at work in the world now. God lives and indwells inside each, each one of us. That's why... At the end of our services, we say the church is not a building, it's not a service, but it is God's spirit at work, activating us, inspiring us to continue his work and ministry in the world. Because we believe that we don't have to come here to experience God. Yes, we can experience God here, but he's not just present here. He's present in each one of us. And so then it goes on. So divided tongues appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. And as that story goes on, those different languages were the way that all of these people from all of these different places were able to hear about the story and the message of Jesus Christ. And the same promise that Jesus made in that verse in chapter 1, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This was the start of that witnessing so that all people could have access to the message of Jesus Christ. These are these sudden movements, these sudden moments of the Holy Spirit working. And then towards the end of kind of this occurrence, Peter gets up and begins to kind of explain and help them understand what's happening. And what's so cool about, to me, this story of Peter standing up is we are literally 50 days removed from Peter denying Jesus three times in the moment of his his crucifixion. And so for me, what it tells me is that the Holy Spirit is not just available to those who have gotten it all, all right all the time. It is not just a gift that is available to those who have lived a perfect life, who haven't made any mistakes. No, Peter... The one who denies Jesus three times is the one to stand up in the midst of this occurrence and to begin to help people understand what this new gift of the Holy Spirit is about and what it requires of them. And this is what happens after that. After these people hear this message, the Holy Spirit, it convicts them. They repent. They convert. They become believers in Jesus Christ. That's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit works suddenly is it it reminds us of the ways that we've made mistakes. It kind of pings us with that note of guilt, of like, oh, I messed that up. I need to do different. I need to confess, I need to repent, I need to ask for forgiveness. We believe that that's the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us, trying to convert us, and trying to bring us back into relationship with God. But that's not the only thing the Holy Spirit does. It doesn't just act suddenly. It also acts slowly, over time. Forming us into the person of Christ. And this is what happens next in the story. After the Holy Spirit moves suddenly, the Holy Spirit begins to move slowly. This is at the end of chapter 2. So once they've all been converted by that sudden movement of the Holy Spirit, now you begin to see this slow formation after the person of Christ, this spiritual formation through their habits, through their disciplines, through their actions and choices, the way that the Holy Spirit continues to work inside of each of the believers. Day by day is what it says. Day by day, week by week, month by month, over time the Holy Spirit is working in their lives through their habits, through their spiritual disciplines. It says, as they spent much time together in the temple, worshiping together, They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. They were in community with one another. They worshiped together. They spent time in fellowship and relationship with one another. Earlier it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. They studied. They learned. They were educated about the faith. And then it says praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. They served one another. They shared goods in common with one another to support each other according to their need is what it says a couple of verses above that. And so we see these distinct functions of the Holy Spirit at work in this community that would eventually be called the church. We think the functions of the church are no different today. It revolves around worshiping God, gathering together to worship God, spending time learning. The church is a place where we're educated, where we're taught what it means to be a follower of Jesus it's the place where we have access to connect to one another to build community and relationships with other believers those are different types of relationships and communities than our than our friendships with people who don't share our faith there's like distinct differences in terms of our values and our priorities and our habits and our actions and then the last it inspires us to service you know just we're just a couple of weeks removed from serve sunday because we think it is an important part Of our faith expression that we are in ministry continuing what Christ has done serving other people in the world these are these distinct functions of the church of this first church that is still true for us today because those are the mechanisms through which the Holy Spirit slowly forms us into the person of Christ and then it ends and it says this and day by day once again slowly and day by day The Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And again, what's so cool about this word saved is it can also mean like healed. It comes from this word salve. So you get salvation from it, but also like something that you apply to a wound or a burned. You apply a salve to it because it's healing and it's restorative. And my guess is many of you have had experiences in a church When they have done this well, when they have worshipped and they have taught well and they have created community well and they have served well, that has been healing, that has been restorative, that has been encouraging and inspiring because, it's not because of the church, but it's because of the way that the Holy Spirit is at work through the church that day by day, the Lord added to those numbers who are being saved. But it's an important kind of direction for us as a church because we have to follow in this pattern. We have to follow in this way because we also all have stories or can read them easily online and in the newspaper of churches who failed to do this, who failed to be obedient to the calling and to the movement of the Holy Spirit, who failed to worship and teach and guide and instruct and to create community and to serve one another. And those churches do the very opposite of healing and restoring and redeeming. They hurt and they wound and they tear down. And so the celebration of Pentecost is an important one in the life of the church because not only it tells us where we've been, but it reminds us of who we're supposed to be. It reminds us of who God continues to call us to be. Both as individuals and believers, but also as a community, as a collection of those who try to follow in the way of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be people who invite the Holy Spirit, like that song said. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Both for these sudden moments that redirect us back to relationship with God, that convict us and draw us towards kind of confession and repentance, but also that rebuild us and reform us in the person of Christ. And so it's too easy to say it's important that you come to church for the sake of like, you know, legalism or moralism, like it's good to come to church. No, that's not why it's good. You're not supposed to come to church because we have attendance quotas that we're trying to meet. That's not what it's about. It's because when we gather together, this is the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work and move among us. For us to suddenly experience the Holy Spirit and then to slowly experience the Holy Spirit together. This is something that happened collectively and communally, and it continues to happen collectively and communally. We believe that God's power and spirit is still at work in the world, and that's what we celebrate in communion. When we invite you to come forward to take the bread and the juice, it is because we believe that participating in this sacrament invites the Holy Spirit to continue to work in you, to encourage you to strengthen you, to convict you, to challenge you, to inspire you. To inspire you. With breath is how that breaks down and kind of its its root. With breath, it re-invites the Spirit of God back inside of you to continue to form you after the person of Christ. And so on this Pentecost Sunday, I hope both now and in the days to come that our prayer will be, Holy Spirit, come, fill us, inspire us Move us into the example of your son. Let me pray for us as we get ready to celebrate Holy Communion together. Gracious God, we are grateful for this opportunity to gather on this Pentecost Sunday, for this opportunity to be reminded of who you have called your followers to be, for the role that you have invited us to fulfill and for the gift of the Holy Spirit which allows us to serve you and your people God may your spirit move in each one of us both suddenly and slowly may it be for us your power in our life may we resist the temptation to draw upon our own strength, our own abilities, our own intelligence, God And may we humbly submit to the work of your Spirit, inspiring, guiding, and conforming us into the person and example of your Son. God, we love you, and we're grateful for this gift of your Spirit in each other. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.